Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part four of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 10 called The Making of a Disciple. All right, good morning again, everybody. Welcome to Living Truth. We're glad you're here. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 10. We're doing a part two on the making of a disciple. My goal was to get up through verse 42 last week. If you were here, I did not make it. I made it halfway. And often my wife will say to me when I'm going to tackle a bigger section of scripture, really? Like, you think you're really going to do 18 verses? And she's normally right. So anyway... So that was prophetic because we didn't make it, but we're going to do a part two of the making of a disciple, and that's going to be picking it up in verse 34 of Matthew 10. So once you have the text, would you stand to your feet if you're able? We'll pick it up at verse 34, Matthew 10. Jesus is speaking. Let me just say to you that prepare for some hard words. (laughs) Uh, Discipleship is going to cost us everything. And this is no light stuff, so we just need to be prepared for what Jesus is going to say. Jesus, in verse 34, Matthew 10, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, A man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. You can have a seat. Thank you, Father, for these words from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And thank you for discipleship, because discipleship is really what the Great Commission is all about. And we introduced this last time we were together as we defined some terms and looked at kind of half the headings that we'll have today. But you you called the church to go and make disciples of all nations to do what we did this morning, to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach people to obey, those who trust you, to obey everything that you've commanded. And you promise us that, lo, you are with us even to the end of the age. Thank you that you are the one who empowers the endeavor of disciple-making. Thank you that you have done that work in our lives. You've transformed us and now you're making us into Christ's image. And it is a process for us, Lord, but we want to be disciples and we want to follow our master and our king. 
And Lord, we do battle in this life. We battle the world, the flesh, the enemy. So many things that come at us. And these words are not light words, but they are your words, Lord. And I pray that you'd give us ears to hear what you would say to your church because you're the Lord of the church and what you say is what we obey. So help us because we are weak and we often see our pride in the way and so many different things that challenge us to the core. So my prayer is that you would make us more like you because we've been together today. We lay this time at your feet and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The making of a disciple, part two. So I have 12 headings for you. I want you to think of the 12 apostles. Maybe that'll help you remember the 12 headings. I gave you six of them last time. I will admit that I'm not really great at lists and staying organized that way when I teach, but let me kind of do a little bit of review. So in verse 24 of Matthew 10, just looking back for a second, Jesus used the word disciple. He said a disciple, we define that term, methetes, as a learner or a pupil. Disciples would often travel with their teacher. They would live with their teacher, pick up the language of the teacher, the example, idiosyncrasies, etc. A disciple is not above his teacher. I told you there's a parallel clause here or a parallel way to see a disciple as also a slave or a servant, nor a slave above his master. You can see teacher and master, that's how Jesus is described in our own personal lives. So we defined our term there, and you all know that the great endeavor of the church is to make disciples. Now, we talk a lot about disciple-making, but we have to ask some questions like, what is a disciple and how do you make them? I mean, if that's our great endeavor as the church, these are things we need to know. So looking at just a review, first of all, we looked at the disciples' position. That's in verse 24. He is, she is below their, their uh, teacher, and below their master. A slave is not above his master, not above his teacher. So we take a subservient role, number one, that's the disciples' position. In verse 25, we looked at the disciples' goal. Number two, the disciples' goal is to be like his teacher. We would call that sanctification in the church, to become more and more like Jesus. We You know, the bracelets came out years ago. What would Jesus do? And that was on track because that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be like him, to love like him, to walk like him, etc. I think those are things we all know. So that's the disciples' goal. We are to become more and more, one day at a time, like Jesus. Number three, the disciples' encouragement is in verse 26. Three times we saw in the section, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. The disciples' encouragement is not to fear those who can kill the body, that's ahead of us, but also to know that even if we get persecuted, nothing will be hidden in that day. Everything will be revealed. So we, ha- we can have great encouragement, number three, the disciples' encouragement, that God will deal with everything, everything will come into the light on that day. And Jesus said, I want you to speak what you hear uh, whispered, speak it out. Number four is in verse 28. It's the disciples' hope or destiny, if you're taking notes. Don't fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill your soul. We spent a good amount of time looking at the idea of Gehenna last week. If you weren't here, go back and listen to that message because taking these two together is important. We talked about only God can destroy or ruin the soul in hell or Gehenna. Man can't do that. All man can do, the worst that he can do is kill your body. 
but he has no control over your soul. Only God has uh, control over your soul. And so Jesus says, I don't want you to be afraid, even if the worst thing happened and you were to pay with your life. We talked about how the fear of God, the fear uh, rightly placed will squash all other fears. And so that is another one in our list. As we move down, we will talk about the disciples, or we have talked about the disciples' value. You can write that down in verses 29 through 31. We found encouragement, for example, in verse 30. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. And though preachers make jokes about that, uh, what I would say is that speaks of your resurrection body, that God knows every inch of you, every detail of you, down to the very number of hairs on your head. And when you are resurrected, you will be you in the resurrection. So no one can take you away. No one can destroy you. Therefore, don't fear. You have great value. That's verse 31. You are of more value than many sparrows. God has put great value on you, so much so that he sent his son. And then in verses 32 and 33, where we ended last time, we talked about the disciples' stand or the disciples' loyalty. Verses 32 and 33, that's number six of our 12, and Jesus said these famous words, everyone therefore who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who's in heaven, but whoever 33 shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who's in heaven. Now remember the context, Jesus sending out the 12 on a mission journey, short-term mission to the lost sheep of Israel. Temptation might be Uh, under a threat to maybe cower or not confess Jesus. And Jesus said, if you do that, if you deny me before the pressure of men, I will deny you. We took some hope in the story of Peter, who denied the Lord three times on that fateful night. Jesus said to him, you're going to deny that you even know me. Peter did. Peter was a strong man. He took out the sword in the garden. He tried to protect the Lord from all those troops that were coming. Maybe he was confused, but he was definitely overconfident in his flesh, and he failed hard that night, and we all know that he was restored. So we took some refuge in the fact that even if we have denied the Lord with our lips or our life somewhere along the way, and perhaps we all have done it in some small way or big way, we know that Peter was restored, amen? And Jesus said, when you have returned, strengthen your brethren, and then on that seashore, Peter, do you love me? Three times, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. In essence, Peter, you're going to be restored and you're going to learn some good lessons from your own uh, self-reliance. So that's a summary of the first six uh, points and what we tackled last time. Now, we're doing a part two on the making of a disciple with these words. You could call these two purpose statements. Let me just say that a purpose statement is something like this. Jesus says, I came to do this. I came to seek and save the lost. I came you know, I was sent to, on a saving mission. God so loved the world that he sent or gave his son. But here, a somewhat unique uh, purpose statement, if you will. Do not think, 34, that I came. Pilate, uh, before Pilate, Jesus said, I came to bear witness of the truth, etc. But here, a purpose statement. Do not think I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. 
Now, this may shock some of us who are newer to the Bible because we would say, well, I thought the gospel is called the gospel of peace. I thought Romans 5.1 says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We put on the shoes of peace, which is the gospel of peace. Jesus is our peace, Ephesians 2.14. How is it that the Prince of Peace wouldn't bring peace on the earth? I thought at Christmas, it's peace among men. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. A quick reminder, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. About half the ministry is supported by our church family, but we would love for more listener support. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station and provide the podcast for free. Also, more people like you can dive deeper into the Word of God and apply it to their life. Please consider becoming a Walk in Truth monthly partner of at least $10 a month, or you can give a one-time gift. Please visit walkintruth.com and click Donate. That's walkintruth.com. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, this may shock some of us who are newer to the Bible because we would say, well, I thought the gospel is called the gospel of peace. I thought Romans 5.1 says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We put on the shoes of peace, which is the gospel of peace. Jesus is our peace, Ephesians 2.14. How is it that the prince of peace wouldn't bring peace on the earth? I thought at Christmas, it's peace among men. Well, here's the distinction. Jesus Christ brings peace to the believer, to the soul, if you will. We are no longer at war with God. We are right with God once we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. But that doesn't guarantee peace on a horizontal plane. (laughs) Peace with God doesn't always guarantee peace with people. Now, we're to be at peace with all people as much as it depends on us. Live at peace with all people, Romans 12, 18. We are to be people of peace. However, uh, once we become a believer, we have no guarantee that everyone's going to be at peace with us. Amen? The history of the church will tell you that it's been very difficult sledding for the people of God. And while we have peace with one another and we are reconciled to God and one another in the body of Christ, sometimes we run into difficulty in the world. And that's what Jesus said He said, I didn't come to bring peace on the earth. Uh, Don't think that. I came to bring a sword. Now, some people have read these verses and thought, is Jesus making an argument for, uh, you know, domination by the sword, like the war sword? Is that what he's talking about? And the answer to that is no. Jesus is not talking about a literal war sword where we would go and conquer the world with the sword. That's not the Christian message. We overcome evil with good, Paul says in Romans chapter 12. We even love our enemies. So what is Jesus saying? What does he mean that he came to bring not peace, but a sword? Jesus is talking about a sword of division. I want you to hold your place in Matthew 10 and turn to Luke 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke chapter 12, and let's see in what we might call a parallel account or another time when Jesus is addressing similar subject matter, he says these words, Luke 12, 49, I have come to cast fire upon the earth, 12, 49, 
and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. That's not his water baptism. Most scholars would say that's the suffering of the cross. And then he says, do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. And I want you to see that Jesus clarifies that the sword he mentions in Matthew 10 is a sword of division. Dividing, if you will. Imagine the sword as the dividing of people here in relationships. For from now on, five members in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son. Now, these are the most intimate, important relationships on the planet. Son against father, mother against daughter. Daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. Daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Now, Jesus is quoting from Micah chapter 7, verses 5 through 7. If you're taking notes, it's actually an Old Testament quotation. Here's how it reads. Micah 7, 5. Don't trust in a neighbor. Don't have confidence in a friend. From her who lies in your bosom, guard your lips. Micah 7, 6. For son treats father contemptuously. Daughter rises up against her mother. Daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. So you could say that Jesus was borrowing lines from Micah 7, 6. But as for me, Micah 7, 7, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Now we live in 21st century Southern California, not 1st century Israel. And so the dynamics are a little different as you turn back to Matthew chapter 10. We know in the Jewish world, to say that Jesus was Messiah was really a challenging thing for many people. There was a lot of controversy, and Jesus was dividing people along whether or not people believed he was actually the one to come or not. Some years ago, I, had a, I was coaching a Little League team, and I had a Jewish family as part of that team, and the mom of the, the kid I was coaching had become a believer, but her dad was not. And I'm just being candid with you that in Jewish households, sometimes Jesus is a joke. Like they use his name in vain. They joke about him. It's kind of a sad reality. But this is just the way it is. Israel today, if you go to Israel, is largely a humanistic nation. There's not much faith even in the nation of Israel right now. And so she brought her dad into my office many years ago to hear the gospel. And I preached to him a little bit. And he came, you know, he was an older guy, hat in hand, you know, and he listened and the daughter started giving him the business in my office. She was quoting Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, Jesus is the Messiah. How could he be the Messiah? They say say he's not the Messiah. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, you know, he was going to be born in Bethlehem back and forth, up and down. I just started watching it like it was a ping pong match in my office. The daughter was preaching it. And this little old man, old Jewish man struggled He was hearing truth, but it was hard for him to finally say, okay, I trust that Jesus, the Jesus of the New Testament is Messiah. And he put his hat in hand and he prayed the sinner's prayer in my office and it was really precious. But but I will tell you, I sensed that there was more tension coming in that household. And last week we had a young couple come and the Husband is a truck driver. He's been listening to Walk in Truth Radio, and he drives all over. He drives uh, early in the morning, and he, I think he listens either at 10.30 or maybe it's the late night broadcast on 10.30 KKLA. 
And so he brought his wife. His wife had grown up in a Roman Catholic uh, household, and they came last Sunday and heard the word of the Lord. She had only been to church a handful of times. She would go during the year for the, you know, kind of the traditional holidays. And she said, just something happened, the music and the preaching and uh, you know, she just sensed the presence of God. And so she walked forward and gave her life to the Lord last Sunday, which was wonderful. It was such a blessed time. And she came back this Sunday. They, they returned, and they have a pretty good drive to come here. They drive about 30 minutes to come here. But they feel like they're at home. And she said to me that everything in your sermon that you just preached this morning at first service happened to me this week. I went home. I told my family I'd become a Christian. And they started saying thing like, things like this. You're, you're part of a cult. <laughs> They're going to try to take your car from you, literally quoting. They're going to try to take your car from you. And I quickly said, what kind of car do you drive? <laughs> Just kidding, I didn't say that. They're, they're going to try to take your home. And she was like, we don't even have a home. How are they going to take that? And back and forth and up and down. And so I said to first service, how many of you in your family, company, relationships, has Jesus become kind of a point of division uh, for you in some relationship? Just raise up your hand. So everybody just take a look around. At first service, it's probably 95% said, yeah, Jesus has caused some division in some important relationship in my life, whether it's a parent or a child or whatever it may be. And that's what Jesus said was going to happen. He said, look, if you're going to take me seriously... I'm going to ask everything of you. Uh, how much do I have to give to follow Jesus as a, as a disciple? Whatever the interaction is, details of that conversation, everything. The answer is always everything. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Not some. All your mind. All your strength. You've been listening to The Making of a Disciple, Part 4 on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew, Chapter 10, Verses 24 through 32. If you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and more podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. Now, we have pastors on staff that would love to speak with you if you need prayer or counsel. Or perhaps you have questions about Jesus and the Christian faith. Call Walk in Truth Tuesdays through Fridays during daytime hours at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. 844-48-TRUTH. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, maybe you're in a certain context where you have not been bashful about your faith. You've tried to reach out. You've tried to share the gospel. And you've kind of been categorized, you're the annoying Jesus guy, you know, at work. And I was in a similar setting years ago. I was an ordained pastor, but working a full-time job and pastoring the church way back in the day. And I will say that there, everybody knew I was a Christian. Everybody knew I was a pastor. And there were times when there was, you know, a little debate going on at work over a moral topic or something. And I would chime in or I would say something. Or I would share my faith. I, f- I found that sometimes people didn't want to deal with me, sure. But I found s- several times people in the company turning to me in times of crisis. And I also found that some people I had shared with, when I thought there was no fruit, 
actually ended up giving their lives to Christ. Not in the moment. Some people, uh, I remember one particular story where I shared with a woman, shared uh, the gospel. She was, I wouldn't say adversarial, but she was certainly wasn't on board and had had some negative experiences. But years later, uh, and I think I found this out after I left the company, if I recall correctly, she had become a committed follower of Christ. And that conversation was was pivotal. So don't always judge everything by if if people see you as annoying, because deep down they know, they know that they need Christ. And maybe they will mock you in the moment, but you might find them turning to you in their moment of need. So just be as consistent as you can be. Try not to be annoying for annoyance sake. You know what I'm saying? But you may, you may be surprised that the seeds that you're planting right now will eventually bear abundant fruit. Well, this is Pastor Michael Lance. We've been moving through the Gospel of Matthew. We're talking about the making of a disciple, part two. I would love for you to share this with a friend who may have questions about discipleship. Go back and revisit some of the messages. Keep us in prayer. We, we want to get this ministry out to as many people as possible. I often point you to the website where you can find out more about who we are and what we're up to and how you can pray for us and partner with us. The site is walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. We'll see you, Lord willing, tomorrow. We appreciate our Walk in Truth financial partners. You contribute to our ministry, broadcast, and podcast. As a thank you for your support, we've created the Walk in Truth app. If you'd like to become a Walk in Truth partner, any amount is appreciated. You can now give on the Walk in Truth app or visit walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for part five of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 10 called The Making of a Disciple. I'm Mike Massaro. On behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.